The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Get ready to talk some baseball. Welcome to the King's Corner, talking baseball with Jim Layritz. From spring training to the World Series and beyond to the postseason, Jim and his guests tell it like it is and have all of the bases covered. Now, here's Jim Layritz. Good morning, afternoon, or wherever you are listening. Good, uh, good day to you. We have April 26, 2012 in the books, another week of baseball, and I tell you what, a lot of interesting things happening over that one week. Philip Humber, perfect game. Uh, the Los Angeles Angels continuing their downward trend. Lots of good things happening. Boston Red Sox celebrate a 100th anniversary. Uh, coming up on the show today, we're going to have Ian Brown in just a minute talk to us a little bit about what's going on in Boston, the, the good, the bad, and of course, some of the ugly. Uh, later on, coming up in the show, we'll have Mark Feinstein from the New York Daily News talking about us to us about the new news over in New York with the Yankees and, of course, losing Michael Pineda for the year, Andy Pettit, and all the other good things that are happening uh, that may be happening over the next couple days over there in, in New York. And, uh, yeah, a quick rundown of the scores yesterday. We had in the National League, we had the Atlanta Braves over the Dodgers, as Matt Kemp did homer for the 10th time, but in a losing effort. 4-2, Colorado over Pittsburgh, splitting a double, or actually Colorado and Pittsburgh split a doubleheader. Colorado winner in the first game, 2-1, Pittsburgh in the second, 5-1. Houston over Milwaukee, 7-5. St. Louis avoids the sweep in Chicago, winning 5-1 as Chris Volstad remains winless in a Cubs uniform. Philadelphia wins over Arizona, 7-2. The New York Mets, 5-1 winners over the Miami Marlins as David Wright breaks Daryl Strawberry's RBI record and takes over sole possession as the Mets' all-time RBI leader. Cincinnati 4-2 winner over San Francisco, and the Eastern Division leaders, yes, I said Eastern Division leaders, the Washington Nationals 7-2 winners over San Diego as Washington goes to 14-4, pitching so far being the key. In the American League, we had the Tampa Bay outlast the Angels 3-2 as the Angels dropped to 6-12. Albert Pujols Hitless again. Oakland over the White Sox, 5-4 in 14 innings. KC, 8-2 winners over Cleveland as KC breaks their 10-game losing streak. Seattle destroyed Detroit, 9-1. Baltimore, 3-0 winners over Toronto. And Boston hangs on for a win in Minnesota, 7-6, as they sweep the Minnesota Twins. And Alfredo Aceves gets his fourth save as the new closer for the Red Sox. And, of course, to finish it up, the Yankees got beat in Texas for the second straight night, 7-3, as Phil Hughes once again gets pounded, lasting only two, two and two-thirds of the end and getting up four and run. So lots of things happening in baseball since last week. And, of course, 
Phyllis Humber was one of the biggest ones. He was definitely, definitely a uh, the biggest story. But I tell you what, even bigger than that with the history of baseball and everything else, I think the biggest thing that we have going was the celebration of the 100 years of the Boston Red Sox. And with me right now is Ian Brown, the site reporter for MLB.com and the Red Sox. Ian, tell me a little bit about, first of all, what was it, was it, was it like that day when uh, everyone was out on the field and they were giving, giving the applause to the 100th year anniversary of the Red Sox? Uh, first of all, where were you, Jim? You were invited. Well, you know what? It was one of those situations. I just, you know, I was just hired back by the Yankees full time. Yeah, and, yeah. And, you know, if they weren't playing the Yankees, Ian, I would have been there. But, uh, <laughs> I, but I, yeah, I, yeah. no, seriously, it was a, uh, yeah, it was a great event, Jim. It was, uh, you know, one of those kind of once in a lifetime events where, you know, you gather all the greats um, from from Red Sox history, and you know, really the Red Sox and Yankees are really probably the only two franchises who could pull something like this off. You know, with. Uh, you know, with all all the history they have and all the kind of you know living legends, you know, maybe a team like the St. Louis Cardinals too. But you know, there's just only so many teams who could do something like this. But at a place like Fenway, um, you know, the Red Sox did a did a spectacular job. Uh, you know, with 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 the day, and it was just too bad. You know, there were a couple guys who couldn't couldn't be there that, that you would like to have seen. But uh, you know, overall, um, you know, you had uh, you had most of the people. That's the thing that you would have expected. It was uh, kind of a spontaneous event. I think uh, you know for anyone who was there. And then they had to play the game, though, and that, that was a problem. Yeah, yeah. Well, I tell you what, it was it, to me. Like I said, it was a great celebration. Uh, you know, I, it, I, to see some of the old guys there, and you know, the history of them, and you know, seeing Tim Wakefield and those guys, you know, wheeling in, you know, Skrumski and the guys. It's tell me just a little bit about the biggest cheer of the day, and of course, that was Terry Francona. Tell me a little bit about. Did you get a chance to talk to Terry and ask him what that meant to him? Yeah, you know, I, I I didn't talk to him that day, but yeah, I talked to him uh, you know, here and there. You cover a guy for eight years, you know, you, you keep uh, you know you keep uh, ties with him, and you know Terry was very you know appreciative, I think, of, of, of the reception the fans gave him, and you know he really didn't want to go to this thing because uh, you know just the way he was let go, the way that whole thing ended, and the things that came out um, afterwards that, that made him look bad. You know, he he really has a lot of bitterness towards people in that organization right now. But at the same time, he knows how fond um, the Boston fans are. There's not too many managers whose team could have a collapse like that. And really, um, you know, the people of Red Sox Nation love Terry Francona. Nobody really put that thing um, on him last September, and you know, nor should they have. Because I don't think that it was his fault. But uh, you know, the, the fans love this guy, and uh, you know, he's the only man, he's the only man alive who's led the Red Sox to even one World Series. Uh, let alone two as a manager. So it was neat to see him. You know, they never really got a chance to say goodbye and thank you. So I thought that was, uh, you know, that was that was the highlight of the day right there. Yeah, well, exactly. Of course, the way they played, of course, it was, it was definitely not the highlight. But tell me a little bit, you know, from from that extreme of a manager that's no longer there, that was so uh, loved by the, by everybody else except for, of course, the organization. Um, Bobby Valentine and his situation. Tell me a little bit about Ian. What you've seen so far, and some of the things that you know, we only see what the media puts out there. But you're there every single day. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about what's been going on with Bobby and what you see. Yeah, I just think that um, you know, people are sort of look, looking for things with Bobby anyway, just because of you know his history and his passion for controversy. And look, Bobby Valentine, uh, you know, as far as I'm concerned, he's really had one black mark this season, 
And, you know, that was the thing he said about Kevin Euclid, which, you know, he claims it was out of context. I mean, even still, you, you got to be a little careful with your words. You know, this is this is Boston, and to, to come out and say it like he said it, I mean, even though he did kind of clarify it later in the interview and say that he still thought Euclid was going to bounce back this year, um, that was just a bad thing to say. Other than that, I think that he's been unfairly maligned um, in this city by these fans. Um, I think the media's been okay with him. I don't think the media... Um, has really criticized him too much, but uh, it just seems the fans are just um, on this guy. And, you know, Dustin Pedroia said one thing, and now, um, you know, in, in reference to what Kevin Euclid, the Kevin Euclid situation now, like the public perception is that, you know, the clubhouse is against Bobby. I don't think that's true. You know, this guy has managed this team for three weeks now. Um, a manager really has no imprint on a team in spring training because, you know, you got split squads, you got guys, you know, you know how it is, Jim. You got, you got guys on six different fields. Uh, throughout a day, so you know that that trust takes time to build throughout a season. And I just think that the journey's still out. Let's give this guy a chance, and uh, you know, see what he can do here. But uh, yeah, again, I just think that you know, replacing Tito those those are big shoes to fill. And uh, you know, Bobby is working with a terrible bullpen right now. So you know, every it seems like every move he makes, the guy who comes in brings uh, gives up a hit. That's not his fault. <laughs> he didn't assemble this bullpen. He didn't break Andrew Billy's thumb. You know, in the last five days of spring training here, so it's just you know, he didn't step on Jacoby's shoulder. You know, <laughs> it's just kind of a confluence of bad things that happened, and for some reason, everyone needs somebody to blame. So they're kind of blaming Bobby, but you know, I think he's fine. I think um, the jury is still out on the type of job he's going to do for that team. Yeah, I think the most important thing is you know that that the only thing that I kind of found kind of alarming, and, and you know, like I said, you only see what they put on the on the, on the reports is you know with Pajoria's comments. That instead of saying, hey, wait a minute, you know what, this has been five years since we won a championship, you guys just got a manager fired that won two World Series, maybe things do need to change around here a little bit. Uh, I thought Bobby could have handled that maybe a little bit differently because to me, he kind of backed away a little bit. and I I was kind of afraid that maybe he may have lost a little bit of, of credibility in that clubhouse, but it doesn't sound like that according to you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think that, um, you know, he was just surprised. I mean, this guy, he hasn't managed in the major leagues in 10 years, so I think he's a little bit, you know how the new media is with Twitter and blogs and all this stuff. I think 10 years ago, if he said a little snippet like that on a TV interview um, in New York, like he did in Boston, it wouldn't immediately be tweeted. You know, it, just might, it might not have even have ever gotten out there except for the people who, who saw it at that moment. Just things have changed a lot in 10 years, and I think that was a real eye-opener for Bobby. Hey, I'm managing in 2012 now, you know, yeah. 2002. Everything you say is going to be out there instantly. So I think more than that, uh, you know, that was a learning experience for him. Yeah, I, I would think that after getting caught with his disguise in the Mets dugout, he'd realize that there's there's eyes and ears everywhere nowadays. <laughs> well, that was pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> All right, right, tell me a little bit about Ian. Tell me a little bit about what's going on. Of course, Dan, you know, Daniel Bard, They've been trying to figure out what to do with this guy, whether to start him, whether to put him in the bullpen. It sounds like now they're going to put him in the bullpen. And tell me a little bit about what you think about this this situation, and of course, in the Red Sox yeah. bullpen. Yeah, well, he does have uh, you know it's one more start for these guys. He's starting tomorrow night's game in Chicago, um, really because they don't have anybody else ready to start that game right now. They're they're in one of those stages where they don't have a day off. So they need all five of their starters. But, you know, I think after this kind of time around the rotation, I think. Um, you know, Aaron Cook is a guy who's three and zero with a one point three three ERA. Triple uh, A Pataka, this this guy has uh, you know won a lot of games in the major leagues. He's got a good sinker. He's healthy right now. So I think that you put Aaron Cook uh, in, in that bullpen. I mean, 
I mean, you put Aaron Kirk in that rotation, I think Bart's got to go to the bullpen. I mean, it's unfortunate for him because, you know, his last time out, he actually pitched, uh, you know, really well. You know, and then he gets skipped this time because of of the rain out. But, uh, you know, it's no slight on him as a starter, but, the, you know, the, the bullpen is desperate right now. You know, you saw it last night. They almost blew another. They had a 7-1 lead last night, and they went 7-6. They need him um, in that 8th or ninth inning. So I think that that move will be made. Because you have other starters down the line, you know, and you're going to have Dice K ready in about three weeks, too. So this team has more um, starters than they do in the bullpen, so they really need Bard, uh, you know, to solidify that, that either the setup crew or or even work in the closers' roles. That's what they decided to do. Is, is there anybody else that we can think of or anybody, have they started talking about possible trades to shore up this bullpen, or how do they feel about their bullpen yeah, right down, now? Down the line, yeah, but it's just too early. I mean, you saw how badly they needed an outfielder, and the only guy they had was Marlon Bird, who had three hits, you know, at the time they traded for him. It's just, uh, you know, there's no trade market in April, really. So, you know, you're talking, you have to hold this together for another uh, month or so before you can start thinking about trades. But, you know, the one guy they really have to fix is Mark Melanson, who's now, you know, he was supposed to be their eighth inning guy. You know, now he's in Pawtucket uh, trying to get his head back on straight. So, you know, if you can at least get him to be your seventh inning guy, you know, maybe then you have Melanson in the seventh uh in Bart in the eighth, maybe a seven, they still in the ninth. So then maybe there's something to work with. But uh, so right now they just kind of have to fix what they have, uh, you know, in house. They converted one of their top starting pitching prospects, uh, Alex Wilson. Uh, yesterday they announced they were moving him down to the bullpen. I'm um, in the minors, so maybe they can get. Uh, maybe they're trying to get him ready to help uh, help the Red Sox bullpen. So they just have to be creative for about the next month or so before that trade market really opens up. Tell me a little bit about the starting rotation and how you feel so far about these guys. Yeah, um, underachieved. You know, I'll tell you the truth. I think Beckett has, uh, you know, Beckett really had a very poor first start, but he's pitched very well um, his last three times. So that's good because uh, generally how Josh Beckett goes, that's how this team goes. Um, you know, John Lester uh, has, uh, you know, been a little just his last, his last two starts out. Clay Buckles is the guy they're really worried about right now, Jim. He, uh, he hasn't, to tell you the truth, he hasn't really pitched well in any of his starts. Last night was his best one. You know, he leaves, uh, I think it was a 7-2 lead with the bases loaded and the, you know, the three runs that, the three runners that get inherited all score. So it's another start where Clay Buckholz gives him up five runs in less than six innings. Uh, so this is a guy who missed most of the second half of the back problem. Um, he said time and time he's healthy, so maybe he's just kind of regaining his feel for pitching. But that's the key right now. So they've got to get Lester locked in and they've got to get... Uh, Buckholes pitching like he can. Let's talk a little bit about the other side of the ball as far as the offense goes. And tell me the situation going on with Carl Crawford. It seems like they cannot figure out what actually this injury is or what's going on with him. Yeah, you know, it started off as a wrist thing. And, uh, you know, he had wrist surgery, and that was the reason he was going to start the season a little bit late. And now he's got this elbow inflammation. So he's off to see, uh, you know, Dr. Andrews in Birmingham, which is never a great sign. So, you know, you just have to hold your breath and hope that, uh, you know, the Red Sox still think it's something he can play through, uh, but you have to hope that it is. You know, it just seems like the timing of this Crawford signing has been bad because um, he was a guy that was always healthy for the most part in Tampa Bay, and now it seems like, you know, he's, he's all starting to break down a little bit. Different uh, you know, different parts of his body are starting to break down. So you can have this guy signed for about another six years at, at big money here. So um, they really need to figure this out and hope that uh, – he can come back and help help them because without Ellsbury, they really need uh, Crawford in that outfield. Yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, that's what I'm saying. You know, you, he was a guy that, especially with the big contract they give and everything else, 
you know, it's, it's a guy that they really count on. And it's just a shame to be able to see uh, him not be able to get out there and do what he's supposed to do. If you look at the way the start gets off, like we said, it's only, you know, not even 20 games into the season yet. Any panic? What do you think? What's, what's going on there? Yeah, I wouldn't say panic because I just think uh, for just based on uh, last year and what happened late last year, people were kind of down on this team even going into the year. And they didn't have a big winter. You know, it wasn't a typical Red Sox winter where they went out and made a bunch of huge moves. So uh, I think I feel like people are kind of pessimistic anyway going in. So it's just kind of like this, right now I think there's just kind of a negativity swirling around this team because it's just like they're kind of playing like, you know, like people sort of thought they were going to. So I just think this team needs to, you know, they just swept Minnesota. They need to keep this role going and get on a little hot streak and sort of uh, get some excitement back because, uh, you know, now that the Bruins are housed, uh, you know, there's going to be a lot of eyes on this team. And, uh, you know, I think they just need to, to bring some excitement back to the city. And, uh, you know, that's all. I don't know. I don't know about panic. More, it's more like dread right now than, than panic. But, uh, <laughs> they all right, tell me a little bit time. just real quick. You know, we talk about, you know, New ownership taking over, new you know, new management. I'm, not, I'm sorry, not new ownership, new management taking over. Uh, Bobby Valentine and all these things. I, you know, I've been reading a lot of things in the paper about you know a lot of people blame this on, of course, Theo Epstein and his departure of how he he adjusted this roster and had this thing. Is that all true, or do you think this is a team that eventually can come together this year and be able to challenge for that American League East? Yeah, yeah, I do, I do. I think they can come together. I mean, Theo has taken some blame. And, uh, you know, it just so happens that, you know, a lot of the moves this guy made the last, his last two or three years in office um, didn't work out very well. You know, really, I look at, uh, you know, things really started when, he, you know, he signed uh, John Lackey and Mike Cameron on the same day, and that didn't work out. As, you know, it seems like he made a series of moves after that where none of them worked out. He just went in a slump. You know, as Bobby Valentine said last week, hey, just like players going to a slump, you know, managers going to a slump. So I think... Uh, I take it a step further. General managers going to slump. I think Theo was in a slump, but uh, you know at the same time he did leave this roster with a lot of talent. And you know if the big three in the rotation can get on a roll together, talking about Beckett, Lester, and Buckles, and uh, you know these guys are going to hit. They're going to hit all year. They've hit for the most part this year, so that's not a problem. So it's just going to be a matter of the big three in the rotation and getting some semblance of sanity back in that bullpen. If you can do that, you know this is still a pretty good baseball team. And, uh, you know, they, they can still, by all means, they can still make a run, you know, to playoffs. Yeah, like you said, it's, you know, a lot of people think that this is a sprint. Of course, baseball is that marathon. So, you know, you never know. And, of course, with the starting staff that they have, if these guys can put together, you know, they can put together 10, 11 wins in a row sometimes. So you're never out of it in that division. Uh, tell me a little bit, just one more thing real quick. How do you see this American East, East division shaping up? And, I mean, I'm looking at some of these teams and, you know, Baltimore and Toronto and, you know, the Tampa Bay, they, this looks like a pretty tough division. It's not going to be something that, you know, with the new two wild card system, uh, I think this division is going to be pretty tough this year. Yeah, I think it's going to be a lot more balanced, um, you know, than it's been the last few years. And I think that there's going to be, uh, you know, you're not going to have a 9,800-win team this year in this division. I think they, you know, you're talking about a team that these guys are going to beat each other up to the point where I think the winner of this division could have something like 93 wins you know, or something like that. But the, you know, the team I really like and the team that's kind of laying in the weeds there is Toronto. And it seems like we say that every year. <laughs> so I, I think that this year, you know, finally they might have the pieces to make that run. And I, I just think John Farrell, I was around him 
for a long time, uh, four years as a pitching coach in Boston. I just think the world of him as, as a leader. And, uh, you know, I think that he, he's a terrific manager. So I think he's going to get uh, everything out of that team. So I think that's the team to keep an eye on. Um, the Yankees and the Red Sox, you can't quite figure them out yet. Um, yeah. Tampa Bay is going to be pretty solid. I think we know pretty know, know what we have there with Tampa Bay. And, uh, you know, Baltimore's a little better, but, you know, they're still, they're still at least a year or two away. They don't, don't have enough pitching to, to really compete in the division like they at least. All right, Ian. Well, listen, I was hoping I would get to see you, but uh, I was a little busy. Hey, by the way, I also had a good excuse for not being there. I was getting engaged. Oh, okay, uh, that's a good one. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you. So I was a little busy on that, too. But uh, listen, we're going to be talking to you during, out, throughout the season. I appreciate you giving us some time. And, of course, uh, we will be on the Bobby V Watch uh, continuously to see how things are working out up there. But I appreciate you giving us the time, buddy, and we'll talk to you soon. All right, anytime, Jim. Good talking to you. All right, guys, that was Ian Brown, of course, MLB site reporter for the Boston Red Sox. And, yeah, you know, painting that picture out there in Boston pretty good. I mean, it's, it's one of those things when you read the papers and you, and you see the news outlets and things like that uh, to hear what they say. But it's another one to get somebody like Ian who's in there every single day and sees what's going on. And, of course, uh, as much as Yankee fans want to get on that, the Red Sox are falling apart bandwagon. It sounds like Bobby V, of course, a little, little bumpy road, but at the same time, it has that ship sailing pretty decent. And, uh, you know, who knows what's going to happen in that bullpen. It's one of those situations that uh, they're not the only team that is having situations with their bullpens, too. So uh, we will be coming up in just a second with Mark Feinstein of the New York Daily News. And they're talking a little bit about the Yankees. And, of course, we talk about problems in the bullpen. Well, the Yankees have problems in their starting pitching staff. Uh, and we'll be talking to him about all those situations coming up in just a minute. We'll be back with you in two minutes. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. Jim Lawrence is a two-time World Series champion, motivational speaker, and author of Catching Heat, a brutally honest book about the highs and lows of a professional athlete and life after baseball. Most people know Jim as a man who has always beaten the odds. Jim has never forgotten that with hard work, dedication, and God's power, one can overcome anything. Visit JimLayritz.com to get a copy of Jim's book or to schedule Jim for your next corporate fundraiser or event. The address again is JimLayritz.com. Fantasy sports is where the action really is. Over 40 million people play fantasy sports, but rarely do they get to quiz the experts. Fantasy Insights is the name and the game. Tune in every week as Dish Adams and his guests clue you in on the fantasy football game, what's happening on and off the field, and how it will affect your fantasy team. These experts aren't just beat writers assigned to fantasy football. They live and breathe the game. Tune in to Fantasy Insights with Dish Adams every Thursday afternoon at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Sports. 
If you're looking for a radio show about boxing, you usually can't find one until you stop by the Voice America Sports Channel. Tune in to Outside the Ring with former world lightweight champion and U.S. Olympian David Diaz. We'll deliver the knockout punches with our guests as we go inside the minds of today's top fighters. We'll throw in discussion of other sports as well from time to time. Outside the Ring with David Diaz airs every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on the Voice America Sports Channel. The opening kickoff is a beauty. It's a fly ball deep right field. That goes O'Neal. He's at the shot. Got it. With 2.8 seconds left to left. I don't care where they put him. This one is out of here. From high school to the pros, we (laughs) cover everything. Let your voice be heard. Voice America Sports. You're inside the King's Corner, talking baseball with Jim Layritz. It's time to hear from you. Call in to our live show at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. You can also send an email to info at jimlayritz.com. Now, back to the show. And welcome back, everyone. And, of course, uh, we thank Ian Brown for joining us this first half and talking everything Red Sox. Uh, up during that Red Sox celebration, of course, we had the New York Yankees raining on the Boston Red Sox parade. And, uh, of course, the two-game series instead of three after Sunday's finale got rained out. And I'm sure Bobby Valentine was not too upset about that, the way things had been going. And, of course, it looks like that day off really helped the Red Sox change it around a little bit as they won three straight in Minnesota. Well, let's talk about the other guys, the other team in that division, and, of course, the team that is expected to win that division uh, with Mark Feinstein of the New York Daily News. Mark, thanks for joining us. How you doing, Jimmy? I'm doing pretty good, buddy. How you been? I'm doing well. Well, I tell you what, you know, like I said, I, I watched that 100-year celebration up in Boston, and, of course, I can't imagine sitting in that other dugout how good the Yankees felt after uh, ruining that day and, of course, the results of the second day. Tell us a little bit about that, that Boston weekend and what happened with the Yankees. You know, I, the first day it was, was pretty simple. Clay Buchholz didn't have a stuffing of you know, five home runs, and, uh, you know, uh, the Yankees took advantage of that. The second day was really one of the, uh, one of the more amazing regular season games you're going to witness. Uh, you know, the Yankees just looked dead in the water, not down 9 nothing, and, you know, Freddie Garcia just got pounded. The bullpen didn't look good off the bat. Uh, and it just looked like it was going to be one of those lost days for the Yankees. And then all of a sudden, you know, Swisher or Tashera hit the home run like at 9-1, and you certainly don't think much of it at that point. Swisher hit that grand slam in the in the uh, seventh that nobody in the entire country saw because it was right as Umber was finishing his perfect game. Uh, and that made it 9-5, and all of a sudden you're saying, well, there's still a lot of time left, and Boston's bullpen kind of struggling right now. And, and you know, Tashera hit the three run over like at 9-8, and you're going, wow, this is... Uh, this is not going Boston's way. And then for them to follow it up with a seven-run inning again, uh, it, was, it was just one of the more, more amazing two-inning stretches you'll ever see. Yeah, it's pretty crazy, and, you know, it, especially what's been going on there in Boston, uh, to be able to do that. And, of course, unfortunately, the Sunday, the Sunday's game get rain, gets rained out, and uh, the Yankees don't have a chance to bury them even further. But, listen, as well as things went that weekend, Tell me a little bit, of course, the biggest news right now in Yankee land 
is Michael Panetta's uh, torn labrum. Tell me a little bit about that situation and, and what's going on there. Yeah, I mean, he's done for the year. He's not going to be back until sometime next season. You know, the, the, the best-case scenario they're looking at is 12 months uh, till he's back in big league games, which, you know, you're looking at the beginning of May of next year. But that's, that's with no setbacks, perfect rehab, no issues at all. And how often do you really have a guy with shoulder surgery have no setbacks and everything go perfect? So, you know, looking at it realistically, you'd have to look June, maybe even the All-Star break of next year, uh, it's it's a hit to the Yankees. I mean, obviously they you know they traded away Montero, their best prospect, uh, for Pineda. Looking at him, not necessarily as a guy who was going to be their number two starter this year. I don't think this is uh, you know as big of a loss this year right now as, as some people are making it out to be because uh, you know I don't think they were expecting him to come in here and light up the AL East this year. Um, the question for me is is how will this impact Pineda going forward for the rest of his career? He's twenty three years old. Uh, you know, he's now going to be facing shoulder surgery and the rehab from that. Will he come back? Will he ever be a guy throwing 97, 98 again? Because, you know, that's what the Yankees traded for. So, um, you know, a lot of questions moving forward uh, for me as, as to what Pineda is going to be able to give them and how this shoulder surgery is really going to impact, uh, you know, his long-term future. Well, yeah, I think it's funny, you know, Mark, how we talk about, you know, if this was Tommy John, we'd be saying, okay, yeah, you know what? He could come back even stronger. Look at Strasburg. But, you know, when we talk about labrums and rotators, they are a little bit different animal, aren't they? Oh, no question about it. Shoulder surgery is a much more uh, serious situation than any elbow injury. Uh, you know, like you said, they've, they've perfected Tommy John surgery now to the point where, uh, you know, you have it and you know that within 12 to 18 months you're going to be back probably throwing harder than you were before. Um, and there's been so many advances in that surgery that it's really, you, know, you don't ever want to call a major surgery routine, but that elbow surgery is as close to routine as it gets for baseball players. Shoulder surgery is a different animal. Now, the Yankees were uh, or are being cautiously optimistic with the words they were using uh, for Pineda for the fact that the rotator cuff is completely undamaged, according to their doctors. So the rotator cuff surgery is really the one that uh, the pitchers have a lot of trouble getting back from the labrum. Guys do come back. Rick Carpenter's come back. There have been other guys who have come back from it. Uh, I saw a list last night, but the, the names are escaping me. But there have been plenty of guys who have, who have come back from the labor surgery and been just fine. So it's not the rotator cuff. That's the good news. Obviously, the bad news is it's still a shoulder. Well, that's, with, with, with this loss right here, how anxious or how quickly and maybe to a fault do you think the Yankees are going to rush Andy Pettit back? Well, here's the thing. Pineda wasn't really going to be back before Pettit anyway. So I'm not sure that Pineda's situation impacts Andy's timetable. Uh, if anything's going to impact Andy's timetable, it's the continued struggles of Phil Hughes and Freddy Garcia. Um, you know, you, you, the way that both of them are pitching right now, you'd love to get Andy up, up to New York to uh, knock one of them, most likely Garcia, out of the rotation. Um, so I, I don't think the Pineda thing impacts Pettit's finding at all, um, but look, Pettit's 39, he's going to be 40 this summer, or this June, I think it is, and uh, the Yankees aren't going to rush him at all, they're, they're going to wait till he's ready, because the last thing they need is to rush Pettit up here, uh, have him get hurt, because he's, uh, you know, not quite ready to do what he's asked to do, and then all of a sudden they're in real trouble, so I think you're looking at two more starts for Andy uh, in the minors, he threw 81 pitches, I believe, last night uh, in, in Trenton. Uh, they're looking at, at, you know, one more start to get him up to about 95 to 100 pitches, probably one more start after that just to make sure that he bounces back well uh, from that kind of outing. 
And then after that, I think you'll see him. You'll see him in the Bronx. So I think you're probably looking at, uh, you know, probably another 14 days or so, uh, or something around there. I think May May 10th is sort of the the date that that the Yankees have had. Uh, I think in their heads of, of when Pettit would realistically be ready to be back. Mark, tell me a little bit about how much Larry Rothschild must be scratching his head. He gets rid of a guy like A.J. Burnett, who had some problems and couldn't really ever make the adjustment, and takes on someone like Phil Hughes, who, listen, two years ago, three years ago, this was supposed to be the next Roger Clemens coming in. Tell me a little bit about the frustration, or what, 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 where is it hitting a peak right now with the Phil Hughes situation? Well, I think Hughes is, is, a, is more frustrated than anybody. I mean, he's... You know, he's got great in spring training. His results were really good in spring training. The stuff is there. The fastball is there. You know, unlike a year ago when Hughes was struggling uh, because he couldn't, he couldn't get any, any oomph on his fastball, that hasn't been the case this year. Um, you know, this year the fastball's fine. It's the location that's just destroying him. And, uh, you know, Russell Martin actually made a comparison last night between Phil Hughes right now, what he's going through, and A.J. Burnett. And, of course, that's probably not what any Yankee fan wants to hear. Um, but just that, you know, sort of, uh, he, he's, he's, he's doing some stuff right, but then when he's missing, he's just missing straight over the middle of the plate rather than missing off the plate. And, uh, you know, when you're facing teams like the Texas Rangers and you're missing over the middle of the plate, you're, you're going to get smoked. So uh, we've seen that happen. We've seen it happen a few times now. Um, you know, last night, you look at the first two innings, I know Beltre hit a ball about 700 feet, um, but Hughes got the other six guys out and looked good and made one mistake pitch to Beltre, uh, and you sort of felt like, you know, he came back and retired the next three, the next three batters right away, and you sort of felt like, all right, well, you know, he's not going to let that home run get him. Uh, but then he went out with a third and just couldn't get anybody out. He hit a couple guys, gave a couple hits, and uh, and it just sort of snowballed from there. Okay, let's talk about the rotation. I mean, if Pettit comes up, that's good. It replaces another spot. What are the Yankees looking at if Hughes and Garcia can't turn the corner? Well, I think Pettit replaces Garcia, so that that, that takes care of Garcia's spot. Uh, and you've got, you know, Sebastian, Nova, Corota, and Pettit as, as the top four. Uh, you know, they're going to stick with Hughes for a while here. I think, uh, I think they, they're of the belief that he is going to turn things around. They saw enough from him in spring training, which, you know, was only three and a half, four weeks ago, uh, that they, they believe it's in there. They believe he has what it takes to, uh, to be successful. They saw him win 18 games two years ago. Uh, and last year they sort of throw the year away as, as he was hurt and his arm was never right. So, they think his arm is right. They think he just needs to, to you know, find to his location, and uh, and that should be able to make him a successful starter. So, I don't think they're giving up on Phil Hughes yet. Now, if we're into July and he's you know two and seven with a six ERA, yeah, they'll go get somebody, or or you know maybe one of their kids in the minors will be ready, or maybe they'll give Phelps the chance. Um, but I don't I don't think there's any plan in the immediate future to uh, you know to abandon the plan of, of using Phil Hughes in the rotation. Mark, how impressed have you been with the start of Derek Jeter so far this year? Uh, you know, how could you not be impressed? The guy's hitting 420. It's uh, <laughs> it's pretty impressive. He's, he's hit, I think, in every game this but won the entire year. He looks uh, like he did when you played with him, Jim. Uh, you know, he's, he's, he's out there getting two or three hits every night. Uh, and it, it's not really surprising to me that he's off to a good start. Obviously, nobody expects him to be hitting 400 at the end of April. Uh, when the season starts, but if you look what he did last year, I mean, he's hitting over 350 since you know the beginning of July last year, since he came back from the DL. So this is not like a three-week stretch that came out of nowhere. Uh, he had a great second half last year. He really looked like his old self. You know, he abandoned those those, those uh, mechanical changes that he had made. 
and went back to sort of his old old swing and old basics after working with uh, uh, you know his old buddy Gary Denbo, and he's just stuck with that. And I think you know for Derek, the simpler it is, the better it is for him. He doesn't think about who he's facing or what he's you know what he's trying to do against a certain pitcher. He goes up there, he looks for a pitch, stays back on it, and hits it. And uh, you know I don't think he's going to hit four hundred the whole year, but there's no reason that he can't go out there and hit three thirty for the whole year. All right, listen, I know you're going to get going soon. Last question to you is, as good as Jeter has been, tell me a little bit, what are the concerns about A-Rod? Well, you know, it's the same concerns as always, and it's, you know, A-Rod's a guy who, unlike Jeter, A-Rod does uh, tinker with his mechanics once in a while. He does uh, watch a lot of tape. He does try to, uh, you know, do a lot. He, I mean, he works harder than any player I've probably ever seen in terms of the time he spends in the cage and the time he spends in video and working out and doing everything else. So, uh, he will address whatever he feels he needs to address with Kevin Long to try to get his season turned around. He's hit some balls hard. He's hit some balls right at guys. He's also popped up a bunch and, and uh, you know, struck out at some unfortunate times. But you saw him hit a big home run in the first game against Texas here the other night. Um, I don't think it's time to, to panic about Alex just yet. Uh, but obviously when you're looking at uh, the last few days of April, he's hitting 220 and only has, uh, what, three home runs. And then just the power hasn't really been there yet, um, you know, I don't think it's time to panic yet. He's healthy, which seems to be the biggest thing for him is staying on the field. Um, I have a feeling that uh, he'll, you know, he'll probably start turning it around sooner rather than later. All right, Mark. Well, listen, I know you got to go and pick up your son at school. And, uh, you know, thank you for giving us the time today. We will be checking in with you periodically, of course. I'm looking forward to talking to you when Andy Pettit does make his debut back with the Yankees. I think that's going to be a pretty special day for everybody. So, Thank you for taking the time, and we'll talk to you soon. All right, buddy? We'll book it now. I'll talk to you after Andy's back. All right, Mark. Good talking to you. All right, bud. All right. That was Mark Feinstein, of course, at New York Daily News reporter, and, of course, all, everything Yankees. Uh, you know, just to give us a little bit about what's going on there. You know, I, I did get a chance to catch Brian Cashman's uh, interview on Michael Pineda and just about whether or not the, the Yankees thought maybe the – Seattle Mariners gave them a broken product, which, of course, we've seen happen before. But Brian Cashman was ever so clear that he did not think in any way, shape, or form that they definitely got a healthy player who had an injury that happened while he was with the Yankees. So no question there. No trying to get back Jose Montero, uh, Jesus Montero, I'm sorry. And, uh, you know, I, I think they're going to be, you know, it's going to be tough. It's going to be interesting. I mean, you look at the Pineda injury. You look at uh, the way Hughes is doing, the way Garcia is doing. Then you look over in Oakland, you see how well Bertola Colon is doing. You're going, well, then maybe we make a mistake letting the wrong guy go. Uh, who knows? But uh, at the same time, you know what? I think the uh, the Yankees are going to be okay. They seem to be offensively doing pretty well, except, of course, like we mentioned, A-Rod. Uh, we'll keep an eye on it. Of course, this is probably going to be, I like, like we were talking about, talking to Ian Brown, Talking to Mark Feinstein, they both said the same thing. This division is one of the strongest. It's one of the best, most even divisions. You know, in Baltimore and Toronto and the teams like that are no longer pushovers. These are teams that could, could challenge and be right there uh, with Tampa, Boston, and the Yankees. So we will keep an eye on this division very closely, of course, because of some of the relationships I have with some of these teams. So... We will be back in a few minutes to wrap this day up. It's been a pretty good day. And I will talk to you a little bit about some of the emails I've, I've received over the last week. And 
a few other things going on in baseball. We'll be back in two minutes. flagship station for sports voice america sports jim lairids is a two-time world series champion motivational speaker and author of catching heat a brutally honest book about the highs and lows of a professional athlete and life after baseball most people know jim as a man who has always beaten the odds Jim has never forgotten that with hard work, dedication, and God's power, one can overcome anything. Visit JimLayritz.com to get a copy of Jim's book or to schedule Jim for your next corporate fundraiser or event. The address again is JimLayritz.com. What's the national pastime in the U.S. in the 21st century? Are you sure? Think again. Three out of four Americans have made NFL football the true American pastime. It's now one of the fastest growing sports in the world. But how do we as fans understand everything that goes on behind the scenes? Tune in to Enter the League with Eugene T. Lee Esquire as your host. Eugene was the featured NFL agent in the ESPN acclaimed documentary The Dotted Line. And now he takes his expertise to the Voice America Sports Channel. Listen every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. internet flagship station for sports voice america sports you're inside the king's corner talking baseball with jim layritz it's time to hear from you call in to our live show at 1-888-346-9144 that's 1-888-346 346-9144. You can also send an email to info at gemlayritz.com. Now, back to the show. And welcome back, everyone. And of course, you know, it has been a nice week in baseball. We're only about 20 games into the season. Lots of big things happening. You know, we look at the divisions, we look at what's going on right now, and you know, I'm looking at let's start with the National League first, and of course, you had the, the National League West, of course, leading the L.A. Dodgers, 13-6. and six. Uh, It has to be, no matter what anybody says, a surprising start. Uh, you know, they've, had, they've lost a couple games here just recently, and people are starting to say, well, maybe this is the beginning of the slide. But, of course, Don Mattingly, who is the, the manager there and leading them, has had a little team meeting and made sure that, you know, we just got to meet, meet this thing and get it going. You know, don't, don't let it fall off the track. And... Uh, Colorado is second in that division, nine and nine. San Francisco, nine and nine. Arizona, the defending champ, nine and ten. And of course, San Diego rounding up the bottom, five and fourteen. We have the National League Central Division. St. Louis, of course, leading that division. And as I mentioned earlier today, Washington is running away with the East right now, fourteen and four. Uh, pitching has been their key so far this year. Uh, Zimmerman took, I think it was twenty-three or twenty-four innings. And it was scoreless innings in a row until he gave up the home run to Orlando Hudson yesterday. So, uh, you know, Strasburg coming back. They're going to be a tough team to beat. A lot of, a lot of experts picked them to possibly win that division this year. Got Atlanta's 12-7, and 7, the Mets 10-8. and 8. 
Saint, or the Philadelphia Phillies, who surprisingly are 9-10, and 10, and of course the new-look Miami Marlins and their new stadium at 7-10. and 10. Over in the American League, Texas. And, you know, I'm sorry I didn't get a chance to talk to Mark Feinstein a little bit. I, I really wanted to get a chance to ask him about how impressive Hugh Darvish was in person on that outing against the Yankees the other night uh, where he struck out 10 and beat the Yankees. Texas is leading that division 15-4, to 15 and four, which is really no surprise. But the big surprise is the Angels and Albert Pujols at 6-12. and 12. And, you know, I live out here in, in, near you know, Anaheim Stadium and uh, the big A out there. And a lot of people panicking around here. A lot of people saying, you know, what's going on here? Why isn't Albert hitting? Why? Listen, relax, relax. We said this is a, this is a marathon, not a sprint. Albert Pujols will be, you know, it's funny. I, I have to, to regress a little bit. My son asked me that they did. Do you think Albert's only going to hit 20 home runs this year because he doesn't have any so far? I said, Austin, the difference between this is, Phil, I mean, uh, Pujols is the kind of guy that can hit 20 in one month. So don't worry about him. He'll be perfectly fine. Of course, Angel fans, relax. He will be fine. And, of course, your team, when you look at the starting rotation, when you look at the guys that they have, this is a team that can run off 15 out of 20 pretty easily. Relax. Sit back. It'll be okay. Now, let's go to the Central Division where, of course, <laughs> let's look at these records now. And I can tell you what, it's not going to be this way, I don't think, come the end of the season. And, you know, somebody can call me back in 140 games later and tell me I'm wrong. But Cleveland's 9-7. and seven. Leading the division, the White Sox are 10 and 8. Detroit, who of course we felt like was going to run away with the division, is 10 and 8 also. Minnesota struggling, and so as well as KC, respectively at 5 and 14 and 4 and 14. So the other surprise, like we just got done talking about in the American League East, the Baltimore Orioles at this point, 18 games into the season, 11 and 7. Tampa Bay, 11 and 7. The New York Yankees are 10 and 8, Toronto 10 and 8, and of course the Red Sox 7 and 10. So these divisions right now, like I said, let's look at them now. And by the time we get here next week, I'm sure they'll change a little bit. But the bottom line is, you know what? This is a mar this is a marathon. This is not a sprint. There's not a whole lot we have to be worried about. So like I mentioned, we have emails. And the emails that I got this week, I only got a couple, so people, listen. Email me at info at Please, I need more questions. I need more people that want to know things. People that want, I want to hear who you want interviewed. Now that the baseball season has started, put down who you want. I can get them. I have those kind of connections. Anyway, the email today is from Jeffrey. Jeffrey in Peoria, Illinois. And Jeffrey's question is, Jim, can you tell me, after Philip Humber's perfect game, what, to, what, what should we expect his next game, and what is, the, what is usually the results of a pitcher who has pitched a perfect game his next outing? Well, Jeffrey, nice question. You know, it's, there's only been 21 perfect games in the history of uh, Major League Baseball, and uh, just so happens that, of course, this question was asked, I think, a lot this week by a lot of different people, uh, because I was able to pull up the numbers, and I was able to tell you exactly 
of 14 of the 21 games of what has happened with the perfect game starters, their next outing. And I was, you know what, I'm going to start from the, wow, the first, last one that we have on record is 1922. Charlie Robertson, his next outing, he went six innings, gave up nine hits, four runs, and four earnings. In 1964, Jim Bowden recorded seven innings, 11 hits, four runs, four earnings. Sandy Koufax in 1965, after his perfect game, went six innings, gave up five hits, two runs, one earning. Catfish Hunter, I'm looking at the numbers right now. Catfish Hunter fared the worst among perfect game throwers in 1968. He... Uh, Still got the win, but he only went six innings, gave up eight hits, eight runs, eight earnings, but his offense must have bowed him out that day because he did still get the win in that, in that game. Len Barker, 1981, got a loss. Eight innings, three hits, three runs, ten strikeouts, so not a bad outing. Uh, at the same time, he did get the loss. Tom Browning in 1988, after his perfect game, Eight innings pitch, five hits, one run, one hurting. Dennis Martinez in 1991 took a loss, went seven innings, gave up six hits, four runs. Kenny Rogers in 1994 took a loss, it only lasted five and a third, going six hits, five runs. David Wells, after his perfect game with the Yankees in 1998, got a win, going seven innings, five hits, three runs. David Cohn, another Yankee, in 1999, after his, got a win going six innings. Randy Johnson in 2004, a winner also, seven innings. Mark Burley of the Chicago White Sox, the same as Humber himself, got a loss his next outing going six and a third. Dallas Braden in 2010, got a loss, eight innings, I mean seven innings. Roy Holiday after... Perf his perfect game against the Marlins only got, got a win and won seven innings. Gave up ten hits, two runs, and two earnings. So that is your answer to your email that you know what? After perfect games, some guys win, some guys lose. So uh, is there any comparison? Can we make a thing? I don't think so. You know, the one thing is Philip Humber is pitching tonight against the Red Sox, and of course, one of their new starters, and I'm not even going to try to pronounce his name, uh, it is du Dubront, and uh, you know, this is an opportunity for uh, Philip Humber, of course, is a 1-0 so far with a 0 0.63 ERA. He'll be facing the Red Sox tonight to his follow-up, and we'll keep a close eye on it, Jeffrey, so... We'll see what your email winds up, and we'll be able to add Philip Humber to our list of perfect game pitchers and what they did their next outing. So, um, you know, we'll see what happens. But uh, in Major League Action today, we'll close out our show today with Major League Action today. As of right now, in the top of the seventh, it is Detroit in a 4-4 tie with Seattle. The Los Angeles Angel, who I mentioned, have been Struggling, of course, are a leading right now the Tampa Bay Devil Rays, 3-1 to one in the top of the sixth. Later on tonight, we have Toronto and Baltimore. 
Boston and the White Sox, like I mentioned. In the National League, the Cincinnati Reds are leading 5-3 to three over the San Francisco Giants uh, in Cincinnati. And the, in New York, as we mentioned, David Wright, the sole leader now in RBIs, the Marlins are a 2-1 to one leader so far over the Mets. And, of course, the new contract of John Neese, is, who is pitching for the Mets, uh, has given up a home run to Gabby Sanchez. Uh, and the Marlins are leading that one 2-1 to one. in later action. We have the Eastern Division leading Washington Nationals going up against the San Diego Padres with Edward Jackson, Edwin Jackson versus Ed Volquez. So a lot of action going on, a lot of things happening. We are going to come live to you next week again here from California. We will talk to you a little bit about what's going on out here, uh, whether the Dodgers will continue their run. Well, the Los Angeles Angels, who will be back in town by then, right their ship, and will Albert Pujols finally get things going out here in Anaheim. So lots of good things happening. Uh, you know, we tried to get Andy Pettit on the show again today, but he pitched last night. I spoke to him this morning, and he uh, wasn't able to get his early workout in, so his workout was going to take place at 2 o'clock. We're going to try to get him on a little bit, um, hopefully next week. But listen, like I said, Email me, jump or uh, info at jimlayritz.com. Tell me who you'd like to get on the show next week. Tell me a little bit about, you know, who you might, who the, the, the news you want to hear. Lots of good things happening. Lots of things going on. Um, you know, we'll have six more games or five more games with the Boston Red Sox to see how the Bobby, Bobby Valentine and whether or not the three-game sweep over the Minnesota Twins was an aberration. Or maybe this ship is finally starting to write out there in Boston. Uh, we'll talk a little bit, too, about, you know, what's going on everywhere else. But, uh, you know, this is going to be a long year, people. Let's don't get too crazy this, this early. Uh, you know, the one thing that I will tell you, with, now that there is a two-team two wild card, uh, a lot of teams will have a lot of hope as the season progresses. Uh, there's not going to be too many teams out of a chance to qualify for the playoffs as this season goes on. So we will, we will carry all this. We will talk more and we will bring you all the important news next Thursday. Join me, the King's corner. We will come to you at two o'clock Eastern, 11 o'clock Pacific. Please join us next week. We will see you then. I am out. We're safe for another week. Thanks for tuning in to the King's Corner, talking baseball with your host, Jim Layritz. We can't wait to have you come back next Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Have a great weekend. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel.